This week on The Quiet Life. So what is your definition of healing? So definition of healing, it's very, it's actually healing is such a complex thing. I don't think that one can actually properly put a, a, a formal definition to it as such. What I've learned over time is it's a process. It's a process that happens throughout all of our life. Even I think people tend to think it has to be because of a major insult or a big trauma or a wound, but actually it doesn't at all. It's something that we're continuously learning from, growing from, and I don't think we ever really truly stop healing. Welcome to The Quiet Life. I'm Michael James Wong, author, educator, meditator, and your host for the show. This is a podcast for powerful conversations that celebrate what it means to be human. Join me each week as I speak to inspiring and insightful guests about their life, what they've learned, and what they've left behind on their way to a more mindful way of living, and discover their personal experiences that have helped shape their lives for the better. Listen in and find your way to a quiet life. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quiet Life. Uh, I'm your host, Michael James Wong, and as always, every week, it is aimed around real human conversations that can give us some beautiful insight on what it means to simply be alive right now. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Dr. Poonam Krishan, who is a mom and NHS GP, writer, life coach, and co-host of the Medic Mom podcast. Now, she's a keen in interest in human stories and believes that so much can be learned uh, from each other and from one another's experiences. And in her own words, she understands and witnesses daily how complex healing is. Welcome. Thank you so Welcome. much for having me on. It's a pleasure. It's so nice to have you here. Um, and, and it's so nice to be able to have this kind of moment together. And what I've always been saying and, and, and what I said to you before we started was, you know, these are really just nice, gentle conversations where we can just learn a lot about ourselves. I mean, that's really the essence of what it means to Absolutely. find this. Absolutely. And it's the essence of, of what of I do. I think people often say to me, you know, we're here just of how stretched the services are. And, and of course they are, but you know, people think, how can you enjoy your job as a GP, aren't you? And I think, well, actually when you strip it right back to, to the basics, you know, we are all not a big combination of symptoms. We're a big combination of stories that lead us sometimes into scenarios or signs and symptoms. And sometimes that can become an illness or disease, but actually people, like, where do they come from? What's brought them to where they're at? I find it fascinating. And I think it's just always, if you mm. listen really carefully, you learn more than you'd ever think that you could. Yeah, that's so, so true. What I wanted to kind of ask you as we get going in this conversation, and it's something that I do ask every single week in all of our conversations, and it is ironic in that sense where even in a podcast like this, you know, I will usually open by explaining a little bit who the person is, what they do for work, all the different maybe uh, identities or labels that they carry around. But it's always really nice to hear who is Poonam rather than it's what she does girl. for work. <laughs> I come from, you know, a, a background <laughs> of my parents are Indian. They were immigrants that came over to the UK. They came with dreams that 
you know, were unfulfilled in many ways, and they then invested in their children, me and my little sister. And we've grown up in Glasgow, a city that I am so unbelievably proud of. Uh, and I guess I'm just somebody mm. who has grown up believing in doing your best about duty and have had the incredible sort of opportunities to become a doctor, to become a mother. I, you know, just an ordinary person that goes about her everyday business like everybody else uh, and nothing big. I mean, I guess we can get carried away with labels and things, but I think when you break it down, you know, just just an ordinary girl doing ordinary things every single day, mm. <laughs> learning. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's so nice to hear that as well. You know, I remember growing up that always, you know, you had maybe doctors that you saw or you knew or people that you kind of ran into with a lot of responsibility in their jobs and their lives. And you kind of had this little bit of disconnect, but also admiration. So even just hearing you say, I'm an ordinary girl in an ordinary world, let's just have a conversation about life. It's so refreshing at times. Absolutely. I mean, for us in the crazy world, it is. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, every week on the podcast, we have a different theme that we lean into. And I think this one is very poignant with this conversation because um, I, I would really love to talk to you about it in, in your perspective, first as a human, rather than maybe as a mother or a doctor or anything else that you do. Mm. And this week's theme is healing, right? And it's a very, uh, it's a very important aspect of, of living, but I mean, for you very simply as a human being, I mean, what does yeah, healing so mean healing, to you? It's so complex. And I think sometimes we think that healing needs to be a big thing. Like you've gone through something major and you need to heal from that, or it's a very physical thing and you need to, to kind of recover from that. But actually healing is such a part of our everyday, you know, there are some deep moments, but then actually you wake up every day, you go through a series of different things and at night, it's a chance to stop moments throughout the day where you just stop and you think, right, I'm going to take stock of what's happened and I'm going to kind of, what did I learn from that? Where do I go from here? And it's a continual process of, of improving yourself or of learning and growing and processing. And we're doing it all the time. I think that that's, that's the thing. It's not just a one-off instant. It's a continuum. It just sometimes depends on, the kind of magnitude of that. Yeah. I mean, and I find sometimes as well in common conversation that healing, you know, a lot of times people will equate healing that mm. in order for us to heal, something must first be broken. I'm not sure. Like, I, Definitely. I've had experiences of where, yes, healing has come from broken pieces and from pain and from trauma and from, you know, just difficult times, but I think it's perfectly possible to kind of heal when you reflect on just, you know, sometimes you don't even realize that actually you needed a part of you healed. Like I'll have a conversation with a patient, for example, and they'll leave. And, but from that journey, I've taken something that will heal a part of me that wasn't broken, but perhaps there was a little piece somewhere along the way that had been misplaced. And you think, ah, oh, I, I didn't actually connect that 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 I needed to hear that. And that's actually really soothed a part of the soul, if you want to say. Um, 
So yeah, I don't think you necessarily need to be broken. I think that it's like I said, like, you know, when we, we talk about skin and skin regenerates and hair regrows, and I think that it's the same with the mind and the soul. I think that there's always a bit, there's always healing. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, mm. it, it, I mean, and I, I don't think there's a right answer to it. I, I think it's something that everyone finds their line within. Uh, because it's such an interesting that it's so commonly talked about or commonly acknowledged, but you know it's not so definitive as a math equation yeah. or a step-by-step -step procedure. I mean, if I was to ask you from maybe your doctor's hat, you know, is is there a a, a clinical well, in, in way? Clinical that you ways look at and healing. healing it is. Yes, it comes from a trauma, an insult, a blow, an injury, and healing in the context of that usually is physical in some way or sort of a mental health thing where we're, the whole process is somebody comes with an issue and your job and you strive to to stop that to reverse that to treat that but it's it that that's where we I guess talk about the fact that there are so many levels because you may be able to fix a broken bone but then in the rehabilitation process you know how is that person actually healing but then it might be that years down the line they're still kind of really mentally or emotionally traumatized by the event that caused the problem so actually something that somebody can think it'll take you know a few days or a few weeks to heal may actually in fact take several years so again it's 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 very complex mm. yes we can really simplify it in medical terms healing fix something treat it move on but in the real world that's really the case Yeah, it's true. I mean, as humans, it, it really just begs the question for me, is healing an Ooh, action a or a destination? Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating though, isn't it? Because it's one of those things that maybe you step back and go, that it is a, it is a process of something. And is it just that process of something happening that maybe gives us something back? or is it a process of trying to get somewhere so that then we are done with healing and again i don't have the answer this is these are yeah, just questions that are just coming to my, a, to my mind you know what do you think? i think if you'd asked me this question over a year ago i would have had a very different answer but i came to a point where i didn't even know that i needed healing from so i think we're going to probably go into personal experiences our way of like where we got to but I mm -hmm. personally experienced healing of huge, like, I mean, it was the biggest thing that ever happened to me. Seven years ago, I gave birth to my son and it was a very traumatic birth and it put me in a life and death situation. I was on a ventilator for a week in intensive care. And I'm going to cut to the end really quickly because seven years on I fell pregnant and I was told I couldn't have any more children and I carried a lot of pain I didn't even know I was carrying that pain I'd physically healed from all the things that happened I had multiple organ failure sepsis everything yeah. that could have gone wrong went wrong it made me pause it gave me the biggest u-turn in life of kind of you know where am I going what do I want it it put everything into perspective in one moment where I thought okay what's the point of life Seven years later, I fell pregnant and I was sat in front of a therapist, uh, not even a therapist, it was the midwife, terrified because I couldn't go there again, thinking I can't die. Like, I, I know what happened last time. This, this isn't going to happen. And she mentioned the word birth. Now I had physically healed 
you know, I'd gone on to lifestyle medicine. I was helping other people deal with like postnatal complications and I, I'd healed. Sure. And she mentioned the word birth and I went into panic. The whole world collapsed. I had my first ever anxiety attack. I started hearing auditory sounds, visual hallucinations of, of that time that I was on a ventilator. So I was unconscious. I could not, you know, but trauma. And I was diagnosed with PTSD and I was like, how can I suffer from something like that? I, you know, PTSD happens to people like that are attacked, that are abused or war, you know, birth trauma, PTSD. And then I started getting CBT and spoke to a therapist and months, months, months of kind of that when I started to come face to face and I realized, oh my God, I hadn't healed at all. I'd only, I'd only scratched the surface for all those years, but actually the pain that I was carrying in the depths of my subconscious was, it was, it was, it's really scary. It's really engulfing. It takes over you. And then, you know, as we were coming and I thought I was starting to heal from that process. Oh God, there's a pandemic. You're pregnant in a pandemic. Oh my God. Like, you know, what, what's going to happen now? Everything was up in the air again. And then I went on to have my baby and all those fears that I'd carried, all that anxiety, all that, you know, I went on to have, thanks to all the help that I'd received, the most beautiful birth ever. And I remember just kind of thanking my sort of powers above and thinking, gosh, I've healed. That, I mean, it was, it was the most, I, I, I said it, I've said it so many times, it's the most healing experience ever to have gone through something where you realize that you weren't the problem before, that you weren't the broken person, that it's perfectly possible to, to be able to, in my case, face that fear again and to go. And then I'm a year down the line and when somebody starts talking to me or mentions the trigger word of like birth and I just, it opens up, it opens up things again. And I think I, I have healed. I've healed from that because I know that, you know, I went through the process and it was beautiful, but still things happen that it reminds you sometimes of that, that injury or that time. So I wonder, you know, I thought I'd got to the destination of healing. I thought I'd do yeah, that's it, tick, done, we are done. But then when we talk about it, I think it's a continual process that never leaves you because in some way there's always just a little bit away that kind of learns something new, that works away at it, that patches a little bit more on top of that, that time. Uh, so yeah, a very long story, but just to say that I, I firsthand get just how complex the process of healing is. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, it, it is such a complex conversation and it's such an interesting way that we can look at it because there are so many aspects of it that go into it. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our past, the things that actually we think have been resolved but are just there waiting for maybe something to be reintroduced or triggered or all these kind of things that is part of the complexity or the brilliance of being human you know, all these aspects that are just there. Perhaps though, it, the question might be is, is, were there some really big learnings that came out mm, of it for you that yeah, you now I think take I'm learning forward? still. I think every time I discuss like my own reflections on it, I feel I come away a little bit more insightful, but the most powerful thing that I learned throughout it all was that the, my greatest superpower is actually my vulnerability. 
is my permission to myself to allow the feelings of vulnerability and to speak about them and to reach out and to, to, to seek support if needed. And it took me many years at the beginning to seek the help because I just focused all on physical, but I kept thinking that I was bigger than, than perhaps the pain that was in me mentally and emotionally. But I think that I see it so much in my patients, but it's only when you find yourself on the other side of that consultation table that you are engulfed in fear or panic. And that fear of the unknown exists for all of us, you know, which is why I say I'm just an ordinary girl. Once upon a time, I would have been like, oh man, I'm a doctor who studied hard, you know, like got here. This is like a great position to be in and it is, but actually very quickly, we're all capable. None of us are immune, you know, it can happen to any one of us. But when you allow yourself permission to say, okay, I'm no different, that when you're vulnerable, allow that to become your strength. And then it takes you to levels of growth that you literally could not ever imagine yourself experiencing, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you spoke about the importance of speaking about it and sharing. I mean, what was the role of support in, in that process? What mm. what did you do or what did you need that really kind so of- If I rewind back to seven time? years before, now I was somebody who'd grown up in an Asian in an Asian community where things like mental health are not often spoken about, especially in the context of postnatally, mm -hmm. you know, we, lots of women just, they don't, you have this stereotype, you have a baby, it's glowing and you just rock it. And then I had the dual angle of, I was a doctor, you know, I hadn't really, doctors don't really talk about their mental health and you don't want to come across like somebody yeah. who's perhaps not coping. So for quite some time I suffered alone I just couldn't speak about it and I put on the fronts and the facades to show the world that everything was okay and the very first time I reached for help and I was met with not resistance but it was almost just a bit of oh, okay so it was, you know I remember my GP like it was just like here's a prescription I was in and out of the room within five six minutes and Again, huge learning point, like we learn from the textbooks at medical school, we learn how to treat illness, but actually sometimes you yourself, like the clinician or whoever you reach out to, they can actually be the therapy that you need. You need that ear to listen to you. And it was a big turning point for me in my career as a doctor, because I was like, I never, I never want to be that person that sends somebody away that still cries in the car park, looking at a prescription, thinking that that's not what I need. Mm. I need someone to listen. And so for me, it was almost like I carried for seven years, as I said, and it was only when I sat down and it got to a point where probably I'd battled through it for quietly that it's almost like my body said no. Like the word birth said, birth came up. I went into an anxiety attack and I was like, how can I go through this? So it was almost like the body just had to say, I need help. The mind was like, nah, girl, you need to, you need to do something about this. And when that point came for me, I had no choice because I was so afraid of what the, the birth, the next birth was going to do that I had to then say yes to the therapy because I thought I was bigger than therapy. I thought I could do it all myself. You know, I'd 
been doing all these other strategies myself. But that was it. I think accepting and saying yes and realizing that that was what opened up everything for me and that I had to face it to come through it and to have someone walk the walk with me through that that that's what made the biggest difference and I think that's now what I advocate so much to people to my patients that it doesn't make you weak if you need to go get therapy at some point most of us in life will have that and that's okay because that we cannot just focus on healing to be physical it needs to be mental emotional and spiritual and basically just finding that authentic voice to say yes me too yeah and I mean, that, that hits very close to home for me. I mean, I, I, I as well was raised in Asian culture. I have lots of aunts and uncles, you know, and, and you have those kind of moments where you're right, it, it, things aren't uh, yeah. neglected, but they're, but they're minimized mm. in, in a way of like, oh, that's not really a problem or you'll be fine, just deal with it. Or yeah. just, you know, that's just comes with life. You know, the, these kind of phrases or sayings that, it seems like both you and I grow up hearing these types of things. And, and obviously you have the extra layer of that professional element of maybe minimizing where sometimes maybe as a doctor, there is this sense of like, here, just have this and that's all you need. And, and so there's a lot of people or there are people who have that as maybe part of their inbuilt DNA or that, that sense of how life was taught to them. And so, you know, in this kind of conversation, you know, what would be the advice you would give to these people as an action to kind of move forward? Because I think it's easy perhaps to say, to hear you say, okay, well, the vulnerability is valuable. It's helpful. Therapy at some point might be helpful and beneficial for you. But also I can tell you from my own personal experiences, that's easy to hear but yeah, that might not absolutely. help. And I, and I totally agree with that. Um, the action comes with all of us being part of conversations which involve the power of listening. Like I always say to, to everyone, you don't need to be a therapist or a doctor or whatever, you know, like within your own family units, just look a little bit harder, listen more intently and pay more attention, you know, lots of signs get missed because we're so busy everyone's too busy you know everyone's consumed you know they sit at the dinner tables and it's this that the next thing or they're too consumed and you know what they're doing rather than actually paying attention to those around them and I think the action comes from actually asking how are you with the intention to look listen feel and if someone says today wasn't a good day like my little boy's great he's seven and one of the biggest teachers of my life like literally he just every day is a learning day with him and he'll come in and he'll be like I'm like how was your day medium oh how was your day brilliant how was your day (laughs) Mm, not so great those are cues those are cues to go okay tell me what happened why was it medium today it's so easy to just go all right okay fine let's just move on you know, and I think when I was little, and it's no, it's not through any fault yeah. of my elders, it's just because that's what it happened with them. You'd come in and you'd say today wasn't a good day, or you wouldn't say anything. You were just expected to just get on with it. And everyone got on with it. And that was a problem because everyone got on with it. It became normal. And the thing is, yeah. these things come down, they come out many years down the line. 
because when life starts to happen to all of us, you know, all those things that we've learned along the way will determine how you're going to deal with those situations. Are you going to be somebody that's just going to say, okay, I'll just get up and get on with it, get up and get on with it, get up and get on with it. And one day burn, you burn out, you exhaust, you collapse, or you form a horrible illness. Or do you go, okay, I'm going to deal with this now. And that's, that's what I really think we're, as a society, we need to move into this realm of action of let's deal with today to day. If something is hurting, if something is hurting, you ha we yeah. have to get better at learning to speak up about it. And that might not be your spouse. It might not be your partner. It might be a good friend. It might be a trusted somebody else. It might be writing it down in a journal. It might be something, but to get it out the system needs to be action. Mm. I mean, the, the process of healing sometimes will be hard. It will be challenging. It will be confrontational, it will be really maybe awkward yeah. or embarrassing or vulnerable. You know, it, it's not just, you know, stay in bed for a week and watch TV and you'll feel better. And, and these things that, that you're sharing and these things that I've experienced, these sense of, you know, growing up in environments where, again, no blame to, to previous generations, but just culturally across the board for a lot of people it just wasn't like that it's uh how was your day not so yeah. great it's okay mom made a nice dinner and it's a bit like you know you can appreciate the you know you can appreciate everyone mm. trying to help find a solution in a positive way but actually by ignoring it or redirecting we actually just allow maybe those feelings yes. to reside back yeah. into the body or stay with us and that in its own right can yeah keep that heaviness within us and then like you said just show up down the line in different ways in ways you didn't even realize mm -hmm. subconsciously are impacting yeah, absolutely i think new experiences is, especially i think of that generation and i get it sometimes having become a mom like you just want to fix the problem and you fix it through food you fix it through i don't know yeah. maybe trying to tidy up yeah. around the house or you know you, you try and do things like that when actually the biggest thing that we're all yearning is actually to declutter the inside is to kind of process the inside and in a world right now especially when I look at the next generations growing up it's loud it's so much louder than what it's been over the generations gone and there needs to be pockets and I love the work that you do there needs to be pockets built in and trained for all people of finding those zones where they can scale it back that they can find a little bit to just connect inward and it's not easy I think that the one thing that this whole pandemic has shown us is that we all have in common is mental health we might not all get a physical you know we might not all get diabetes we might not all get heart disease or whatever but at some point mental health will impact every single person in some shape or form and that's and yet it's it's the thing that we speak least about it's the thing that we share the least but we're so happy and confident and comfortable to talk about physical stuff, you know, and moving forward as well, it's mm. going to be our biggest challenge is, is, is the rise of mental health issues that are appearing. And if we, if we don't even get better at talking about them, how are we going to strive towards a world where healing is possible? Yeah. Such a, you know, a really valuable insight, like it or not, however long the pandemic lasts the phase after mm -hmm. it can be just as detrimental right this phase of 
our mental health yeah. being hugely impacted by this time. As a person and maybe as a perspective from, from as a mother, and I know this from my mother, is that, you know, yeah. we often just want people to not feel pain that are close to us, right? So we try to take it away. We try to go, don't worry about that. Just let's, you know, let, let me handle mm. that or let me just turn your attention elsewhere. I think with this conversation for me, it just really shows that importance of having these yeah. big conversations with small children or with people who, who actually look up to us or look to us to help yeah. shine a light yeah. towards where we're going. As a, as a mother, my question perhaps for you would be is, is what are those things that are really important for your children, but aren't actually easy to do? It's interesting actually, because I think that this generation, like I feel really privileged to be a mum at this moment in time to, to children of the next generation because I'm learning or I'm trying my best to do everything that I wish had happened to me as a kid. I'm learning lessons in my 30s right now that would have been so helpful for me for the last 20 years of my life. So then when I look at my children, my little baby's too tiny right now, but you know, my seven-year-old, he kind of really gives me opportunities every day to not just grow with him, but to also kind of help lead the way for him. My husband, he's also from an Indian background. And as a man, like he, again, like, you know, it, it was bad enough for women, but in, in Asian culture, men really don't talk about things. But over the years, again, like, mm. you know, he's he's really kind of come to this, especially what we went through together when when our son was born, that it took him quite a long time to open up and say to, to me, you know, I find that time quite difficult. And I was like, but you never spoke about it. And he was like, but I didn't want to worry you. And I was like, but I wish you had, because if you'd said it, then I wouldn't have felt so scared. You know, there's so many unknowns. And now both of us in raising our son, we're like, we check in all the time because we want our son to grow up knowing that his feelings matter. Like boys get feelings too. And his feelings are so important that he can, he absolutely has the ability to love and to cry and to, to you know, just to, to feel excited and to shower it in whatever way he wants. And that every time he comes home, home is safe. Home is not where he will come and say, I've had a bad day. Mommy, if it's medium and I go, what can I do to make it better? But mommy will say, okay, let's talk about it. I think having that, that kind of space is what I want him to have. And actually it is quite easy to do, perhaps because I've been through a journey that was painful and therefore I've learned how to talk about it myself more easily. So therefore with my son, I'm like, okay, you know, my son, my husband at the end of the day, we've had this ritual for years we sit down and we talk about three things during dinner time or before bed that we're grateful for. I remember at the very beginning, my husband thought this was like craziest thing. He was like, I'm not doing that. Like, you know, at that time he was, he was also like, you know, an orthopedic <laughs> surgeon and he was like, what? This is, this is crazy stuff. And now there's no night where like my husband will be like, Hey, we haven't done a gratitude thing <laughs> because our son started to show us when we started doing this, just how simple those moments are of just, my son would be like, mommy, I love the dinner that you Beautiful. made tonight. It's so simple. I would feel so nice. 
you know like it's just like after a really horribly hectic crazy wild day where you're just like oh and somebody says that actually you know we turn to social media for validation for those likes and hearts but in that moment like a million hearts just erupt because yeah. you're like it's the little things actually that make the biggest difference so space yeah. giving your children the space not to keep doing things for them but just to being next to them and saying i'm here if you need me and i'm here if you speak i'm there i'm watching yeah. i'm paying attention and it's safe Yeah. And those are some amazing things uh, that you guys do at, at home. And, and I'm hoping that people who are listening have that same sense of, of heartwarming flutter that they can try themselves, bring into their lives. I mean, we actually do that in our house as well. And, and it, it is that thing where, where words matter, space matters, asking questions matter, because a lot of times mm. people, you know, the world hardens us up, even if we're in the comfort of our own homes at times, you know, we, you know, we have had a, a rough day or a series of interesting emails or people just being people. And so oftentimes, you know, if we check in and go, hey, how's your day? You might not quite be ready to talk about it. And if you just go, mm -hmm. it was okay. And then everyone moves on. There's this kind of sense of like, well, if you maybe just ask me again, you know, and, and, and these kind of things. And, and that process of living or of having meaningful connections of listening dare I say, is yes. one of the big foundations of healing, right? It's how we can help heal ourselves and heal others and realize that yes, healing absolutely. is part of living. When you live with people or live in a unit or you're close to someone, you get so familiar with their tones, everything about them, the way they move. You know, there's little subtle things that you notice. And I think that this whole pandemic and, you know, some of the things that we've gone through, it's probably made me pay more attention because you've had to live in such close proximity every day doing sometimes the very monotonous things but you you really do if you pay attention start learning the noises and the tones and the sounds and the so when somebody says i'm okay mm. listen to the tone you will be able to pick up more than you know and if they're not ready to talk yeah. about it that's okay but you can certainly pop a little cup of tea down for them and walk away and you know there's little things that you can do just to show your loved one that you've noticed and I think that we think about big things but actually yeah. something I've very much learned throughout this whole year has been that the actual magic and the healing comes from all those little micro moments it's the little things that really go on to make the biggest impact you don't need yeah. the big spades and the meditation centers and the big shows you know if i'm going to go upstairs now and i'm going to switch off for 30 minutes and that's making it actually it's in those little moments that you find the biggest pow pow moments if you want to yeah. say it <laughs> absolutely absolutely take a moment to download the just breathe app with guided meditations, music, and soundtracks created and recorded especially to calm the mind and ease the body. We've literally put the power of mindfulness in the palm of your hands, and even more, it's free. We've created this app as a way to support our growing community, and it is for anyone and everyone ready to step into a quieter conversation. So go ahead and download the app now. It's on iPhone and Android devices, 
And for more information about our growing conversation on and offline, make sure you visit justbreatheproject.com where you'll find more podcasts, lots of amazing stories and video content, and conversations all around mindfulness in the real world. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at JustBreathe. Now, let me ask you this, and this may be, I mean, I don't know which, which hat you want to answer from, but obviously during this time, there's a lot of people who aren't actually around a lot of people. And so they don't have their close family units or all their close friends. I mean, what, what types of things can we maybe do for ourselves? I'm not going to say force upon ourselves, but what things can we actually be really aware of that might help during this time? Definitely get... I see this a lot. I mean, isolation, loneliness has been, it always has been a huge trigger for, you know, illness, mental health problems. It it causes a lot of pain for people. And during this time, absolutely, we've seen more than ever. What I tend to kind of say is it's, it's recognizing some people thrive in those situations. For some people having this time for the first time to be really quiet and be alone has been great. And if that's you, then that's perfect. You know, don't force yourself to feel that you have to make an effort to connect and to talk to other people if you don't want to. But equally, if you're struggling, if you're finding that you you wake up and you, you, t- you say, I, I feel lonely, I feel sad, I feel down, you need to to connect with other people because that will sort of stimulate all sorts of things whether it's kind of mental stimulation but also give you more purpose and a sense of kind of identity and belonging again and you know sometimes that can be a letter I had a patient who said to me that he found it really difficult talking so what he started doing was writing letters to his kind of friends Mm -hmm. and actually it was he said he hadn't written for so many years and he just started posting cards and letters out to friends and then asked them to write back because he didn't feel like talking and I thought that was just so so beautiful but it's also a great way to be able to put down sometimes your thoughts rather than having to verbalize it. Um, I've had people that say, you know, that they're they're checking in on, on their best friend once a week. Or I guess it's just, it's keeping it realistic. One thing won't always work for others, but in any way that you can to, to, to call, to connect, to, to just, to form some sort of relationship with someone that you love, I think is really important. Yeah. I mean, it's such a powerful thing, those very simple acts of connection. And, you know, when, 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 if you are someone who is at home a lot by themselves and you have those moments, and and I think that's a really beautiful way to give an example of writing a letter to a friend. I mean, I, I, I know, I mean, I can sometimes be that person where I thrive by being completely alone and isolated and happy, happy. And there's other times where, you know, I am home uh, maybe I don't feel like talking, but these still actions of connections mm. are really, really powerful. So, yeah. so powerful. And that's such a beautiful thing because sometimes we can think about it as an all or nothing. Like, oh, if you're feeling a bit lonely, go hang out with your friends. But sometimes you just don't want to go hang out with your friends or with yeah. people because they're going to talk too much or ask too many questions, all those kind of things. And, yeah. and that level of, you know, micro interaction or gentle connection is really, really powerful. Yes, 
Absolutely. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it enough. And actually something my son, okay, you should just really have done this podcast with him. Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things in the first lockdown where really, you know, it was, it couldn't go anywhere. It was, we hadn't seen anyone in ages. And my son said to me, you know, if we can't hug people, mummy, can we just hug trees instead? So we started Aww. tree hugging and he loves nature. And again it was just such a grounding thing that not everybody wants to connect with other people sometimes mm-hmm. people find great joy in just like hanging out with their dog or you know taking somebody else's dog for a walk or just listen to the birds and these are all massive ways of connecting too and I think it's just listening to to you your own inner self what is it that's going to help you thrive and of course, if you're really struggling and finding that you're, you know, mentally the mood is really low or you're having thoughts that are negative or almost thoughts of hopelessness or whatever, then, you know, please just speak to your GP. And I think that people forget sometimes that we are that constant in the community. We're a confidential space. Sometimes just talking to us and knowing that there's an extra shoulder to kind of cry on can make a big difference too i've got people especially a lot of my elderly patients they just call now for a chat and i love it like i I absolutely love it you know some of my elderly patients haven't seen their families in a year you know they're vulnerable so they've kept away from everybody and they'll just i'll call them and they'll be like oh i had a headache and i'm like okay tell me a bit more and actually it was not a headache they just wanted to chat and at the end of it, they're like, doctor, I feel so much better for just having had a chat with you. I didn't want to worry my children. Um, so I, you know, I didn't want to worry anybody. Uh, so, you know, there's always somebody. And if, if you don't think so, there's always your GP. <laughs> yeah. But, and actually, I want to ask you about that because this is something I really admire about you and, and a lot of, uh, of your community. Now, what I would love for you to do is tell us a little bit more about lifestyle medicine. Yeah. Now, of course, I know a little bit about it because you and I have done conferences and events together. I've been very lucky to be invited in to be a part of it. But it was something that was a new term for me when I first heard about it a few years ago. But I mean, what is that approach, lifestyle medicine? Yeah, I think if anything, if ever we wanted like a proper experience of it, this pandemic has given us that in that our lifestyles actually are so powerful in how they shape our health journeys so how we choose to live our lives prior to the pandemic especially it was 24 7 people are like frantically you know working away it's you know no ending no boundaries you know eating at their desks running around there's just so much stress not sleeping properly you know the way we choose to to eat, the things we, the, the way we sleep, the amount of stress we take on, all these things actually have the power to either create incredible health journeys or it can culminate in illness. And lifestyle medicine really is bringing awareness to that. It's bringing awareness to the fact that sleep, that nutrition, that physical activity and exercising, that stopping and meditating or connecting and relaxing, all of these things are natural medicines that are designed to actually keep away illness are designed to be able to help us live longer and in health but at the moment what we're seeing is a rise in lifestyle related conditions we're seeing more and more people very young developing conditions 
whether it's secondary to obesity, whether it's type two diabetes, heart disease, strokes, even some cancers, lots of mental health. I'm not saying that it's all down to lifestyle, absolutely not, but our lifestyle plays a big role in that. So we try very much uh, as sort of healthcare professionals that really value lifestyle medicine is to help educate with the view of prevention is better than cure, is trying to use every opportunity to say to people, don't wait for that big moment in your life where you get an illness where, you know, cause that's when people go to see the doctor. Many people will go happily through life mm-hmm. and then suddenly they're like at the doctor and they get diagnosed with something and they think, oh my God. And actually had they known about their lifestyle or looked at their lifestyle in any depth 10 years, 15 years earlier, they might've been able to prevent that. Thankfully, a lot of lifestyle related conditions are reversible. And and that really is the mission is really to kind of help empower people to take better care of themselves, to think about continually, just what is the one thing that I can do, perhaps make a change in that will help me in my everyday to live longer and be healthier. Um, And we all, all of us, me, you, all of us have always got something that we can work on because none of us are perfect and life happens. And this pandemic, particularly, where people have been forced to slow down, it's in some ways, it's been so many positives. People were exercising that never exercised before. I've had patients that are reversed, like reversed. They're, you know, type 2 diabetes during this time wow. because they were like, I started walking. One of my patients just, like, they blew me away. But they're like, I just decided I'd had enough. I had to get out the house. I started walking. He's now running. Like, he does, like, 10K every day. You know, previously, BMI 40 incredible and he's like you know come off some of his medications and you know his blood pressure is better and and I think that this pandemic has done that it's allowed us all to slow the pace down a little bit and as a result of that we've all made some better choices but equally you know I'm not going to say I've also been guilty you know a lot of us have probably turned to some comfort foods and things but it's about awareness it's about learning about what's actually good for you and moderation and balance. And, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, as you know, I'm a big advocate of all of these lifestyle practices. And I, and I think what is the future of all of this is this aspect of allowing us to all see that our health and well-being, our mental health, our physical health, all have an intersection with within how we live our lives. And it's not just, there is no uh, silver bullet to any of this. And that's, yeah. it's, a, it's an element of components that integrate together that allow us to have positive ways of living, healthy results and all these kind of things. And I think it's so amazing to have GPs like yourself, doctors who are leading those conversations that are showing that it's not just my thing, but it's also these other things. And it's just about this sense of let's all look at it from a sense of being human, Mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe what's just in a textbook or what, you know, maybe generational stuff would say, for example. Yeah. And actually accepting that we all have a responsibility, you know, we have, it's our body, you know, you get to car, it's your car, you do everything to look after your car, you fuel it with the right fuel, you know, you clean it, you take care of it, you try your best not to to crash it, (laughs) you know, you drive it safely, but your body is your biggest vehicle, like, you know, it's, so it's only right that we, and the, the problem probably is education, from a very early age you know it's changing the landscape is very much changing but generationally you weren't taught about health really you weren't taught how to look after yourself children are not taught to look after themselves but you need to learn to fuel yourself properly 
to, to look after all aspects of it to make sure that you are checking in doing that MOT you know um, and it's it's a we are all a work in progress and I think this is it we expect just to kind of go about our everyday life not almost like in denial that we can ever get ill you know yeah and it's true I mean that that sense of always checking in has to be top of mind it has to be something that we consider we can't just assume too yeah. much that what we have will stay or what we're doing is the best for us. And, you know, it, it is that sense of conversation, of community, of support, of asking questions, not feeling like you have all the answers. And perhaps that really is one of the biggest steps in the process of our well-being, of our mental health, of, of healing from things in our past and things that will inevitably happen in the future. Exactly. Right? Yep. And it's a Absolutely. fascinating thing. It's a very interesting conversation to have these little human moments to, to recognize these things because yeah. there are a lot of parts of our lives and a lot of parts of society that kind of says, if you do this, this will happen, do this and it'll fix that. Right? Everything is about instant gratification or a fix for, for something that's broken. And maybe for me, what I take away and most out of this conversation is this really beautiful insight that it's all a process it is in some ways never ending. And it's also something that is always evolving and growing. And the more that we can have these lifestyle approaches, the more that we can have insights from both the clinical side and a lifestyle approach, it really just starts to show us that in our own human experiences, we can start to figure out how do we actually heal ourselves? Yeah, exactly. And I think this is it. It's, we, it's, it's about appreciating life in all its you know entirety and accepting that there's going to be lots of ups and downs it happens to all of us you know I see people from all walks of life from all backgrounds of all ages and the one thing is that nobody's immune really you know and I always spend extra time because I'm fascinated by my elderly patients they come with I mean you know you, you just why read a history book when you can talk to someone about their life chapters and there's always so much learning and those particularly in their 90s that are still rocking it you know you kind of go what well, well, tell me like how are you just so amazing still like in your late 90s and you know they tell you all the things oh I worked I, I spent time with my family I traveled I ate well you know and and you think that's it you're living proof of everything that I speak about yet it saddens me when I look at sort of the younger generation sometimes and I put myself in that cohort, we are riddled with stress. And again, we are living in different times. You know, back then times weren't as fast paced and we weren't as overly connected. I think there's downsides while we say connection is great. Sometimes being too stimulated is not a great idea either. Yeah. You know, we need to learn to find that balance of quiet and remaining present in the world. But it's, it's really just looking at there's life, then there's lifestyle. And lifestyle is not fashion. It's looking at everything that you're putting internally into you, right from like, you know, your sensory uh, in sort of consumption to, to the physical things that you're doing. Mm. I mean, I love, I love hearing stories, right? You learn so much about people, about yourself, about life. I mean, I, I often joke, and you'll know this as well because you're a writer as well as that. Often, oftentimes, people who are living the most don't don't take time to write it down. Yes, 
Absolutely. Yeah. I know throughout this entire year, I keep going, my goodness, I could write a book a day, but you, you, know, you don't, you don't. And actually the power of journaling is great. Like I, no matter what happens, it will always be like how tired I am of like, I need to write down just a couple of thoughts from today because that yeah. moment goes, things go. And because things are coming at us so fast as well, like you forget very easily too <laughs> and I think that right now it's like trying not to focus so much on on like what's happening elsewhere it's just really focusing on who am I what am I doing what is my process right now how am I dealing with every day that's coming at me just now because your story is so unique and your story will go on and this will live on we will be talking about the pandemic and what we have gone through for years to come and it's about maybe just living in this moment right now and trying to unpack as much of it as possible so that you know the healing can begin now yeah I think that's it's a really really nice way to put it the, the last thing that comes to mind for me is oftentimes when I think about healing it the the essence of it really just comes back to the process to return to the present yeah yes mm-hmm. Because yeah. so much of our life, we're stuck in the past, traumatized by the past, shifted by the past. We're yes. looking towards what will, and maybe healing is just simply coming back to this moment to allow it to be what it will be, but yeah. to maybe perhaps have insights we've learned, but really just leaving it in the here and now. Absolutely. I'd say that that's been my biggest lesson in this last year of just every day I was just getting up and I was like, okay, today we can only do what we can do today. Like Mm -hmm. it was just one day at a time, like on my Instagram every day, just like, okay, mantra one day at a time, one day at a time, because for somebody, especially my personality type has always been like worried about yesterday, stressing about tomorrow, always that kind of super trying to organize what's that. And then suddenly the brakes went on. And there was no element of control because things are changing in the world, like restrictions, guidelines, new rules, mm-hmm. the news coming at us. You just, it was impossible even for the biggest control freak to control what was going on. And so suddenly you just had to rein it in of like, okay, today I've got to get through the day. I've got to keep myself sane. I've got to keep my children fed, watered. I've got to do our job. Right. Today is the only day that is in control you know and and yeah, just like that is. you know I and I and I sometimes you know we had this chat just before we started this you know in some ways you feel like the days have felt like they've dragged on like how am I going to get through the day and then you go blink gosh we're going to be celebrating celebrating I shouldn't say the word celebrating but we're going to be looking at you know the day of reflection of of when this all started a year ago next week yeah you know how has time gone by so actually one day at a time really does just get us through and probably in a more healthier manner, uh, not in probably in a healthier manner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think that is a, a beautiful way and a really insightful way to, to wind our, our little conversation down. I mean, I could speak to you for hours and I always really appreciate our, our moments of interaction. Um, so it's so nice to have some time to, to chat and to spend some time together. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I always love chatting to you too. Mm. I really do. <laughs> So I wanted to wind it up with a last question, and it's something that lately I've been asking, which I think is really interesting to hear. And this is, you know, purely in your perspective, obviously the the name of the podcast is The Quiet Life. What does it actually mean? You know, what is a quiet life for you? God, you're asking a mother of two young children who's a full-time GP, what is a quiet life for me? 
like in the Naya right now. <laughs> I can tell you what Just the quiet life. Any which way you might think. I mean, what you know, maybe, maybe we'll do this way. I'll I'll be a patient. <laughs> I just need my life to be a bit quieter. Yeah. For, okay. So not just talking to a patient, but for myself, the thing that works that brings the quiet is actually to turn the volume down on all the stuff that comes in from outside. Sometimes I just have to say, okay, you know what? Let's turn the phone off. Let's switch the laptop off. Let's switch the TV off. We're in our house. Let's just keep it to the now. Us, me, in the here, in the now. And suddenly when you quieten all that external, because your mind is already going at a million miles an hour, right? But when you actually press pause and all the other stuff that's coming at you, I think that's where quiet sits for me. That and a walk outside and uh, with my dog. (laughs) (laughs) To hug a tree. And to hug a tree. Oh, yes, to hug a tree. (laughs) I might grow a tree at home. (laughs) There you go. Well, thank you so much, Poonam. Um, one thing I wanted to ask as we wrap this up, because I know there will be people listening who kind of had a little light bulb spark about lifestyle medicine. What's Are there resources that people can look into for that short of just Googling lifestyle medicine? Yes. No, please don't Google. Please visit the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, which is bslm.org. We have an abundance of experts, of healthcare practitioners that are kind of doing lifestyle medicine and practicing that across, um, you know, the world really. Um, we've got resources on there. I've definitely be the best place to check out. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. So as we close, all of our conversations on this podcast for me are really, really so insightful and really, really humbled to be able to have these conversations. So I want to thank you on behalf of myself or the whole Just Breathe community for being here and sharing what it means to be human for you. Thank you. Oh, and keep doing all the amazing work that you're doing. I love it. Where's the best places people can find you, connect with you if they want, or just dig in a little bit more about the work that you do and who you are? Yeah, so probably the best places, my social media, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Poonam Krishan. Great. And guys for listening, we'll obviously make sure we put those in the show notes and they'll go up on the posts and the website, all those things. It'll be easy to find and connect. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening in, uh, supporting this podcast, supporting all of our guests and supporting each other. It's so important now more than ever to make sure that we lean in towards each other and remember that we all belong together. Uh, Thank you again, Dr. Poonam. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening in. And we will see you guys next time on The Quiet Life.